College football season is back, and Walters is the place to be in D.C., be it the SEC, the ACC, the Big Ten, or whatever the heck we're calling the Big 12 right now. The 30-plus televisions at Walters have you covered. Make your reservations over at waltersdc.com slash reservations now. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The runners go the pitch. Swing a long drive left center field, chasing back Hernandez on the go, trying to close, reaches out, makes the running catch, and crosses onto the warning track. That saves two runs. Yadiel Hernandez runs it down. Corbin gets to the finish line in the top of the seventh at 114 pitches. The pitch. Stevenson swings a line drive, a base hit in the right field. Rounding third, Escobar coming home. Conforto's throw to the And the winning run now is 90 feet away at third. Runners first and third. Runner from first, Stevenson goes, swinging a ground ball toward the middle. And an old skitter off the glove of Lindor, out into center field. Bell scores! And a curly W's in the books. Carter Keeboom with a ground ball off Lindor's glove into center field for a game-winning hit. And welcome to Nat Chat for Tuesday, September 7th, 2021, along with Nationals Insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi Podcast. Well, they say that all good things must come to an end. Well, this Nationals-Mets series has come to an end as well, although the series ends in a wonderful way. A 4-3 walk-off win for the Nationals as this theme of the Nats overcoming deficits in games in this series continues. The Nats on Monday afternoon, overcoming a 3-2 ninth-inning deficit. Get to Mets closer Edwin Diaz for a second time in this series. Who's more reliable, Wander Suero or Edwin Diaz? I don't know. That's a New York problem. But, man, does he stink. He is so unreliable. You knew. I, I mean, I said to myself, Mark, Diaz in that game, 3-2 in the ninth inning. The Nats are rallying against Diaz. They own this guy. They get to him again. But a really impressive rally. And look, I know the outcomes of these games don't mean much, but that was a lot of fun to see the Nats celebrating at the end of that game. A long series ends in a very satisfying way. Well, look, they earned one of those, right? I mean, God, they tried so hard all weekend. They did everything they could to put themselves in position to win these games. They came back, I mean, five games in the series, and in four of them, they rallied from behind, once by nine runs, once by four runs. In every case, they at least tied it. In this case, they won it. The fifth game in that group was the the one that they won like all the way through. 
that they were ahead and actually won the game and held on. So I got to give them some props here. I know the Mets are a mess. I know they are not nearly as good as the record might indicate or the fact that they're still in the race. I mean, since the trade deadline, the Mets are now 8-3 and three against the Nationals and 6-18 and 18 versus everyone else. So let's not declare them as real contenders just because they beat up on the Nationals. And truth be told, they didn't beat up on the Nationals. The Nationals gave them everything they had and took two out of the five and easily could have won more than that. I give them so much credit because, you know, when you keep doing this and you don't see the fruits of it, it's easy to get down on yourselves. So to keep coming back every day and still have that kind of attitude of like, okay, today's the day we're going to finish it. They did that and more power to them. That was a fun way to end a very long weekend. Yeah, and that to me is a manifestation of Davey. And I think that's one of the things that he will forever deserve credit for. The pride of the boys stuff, the go one and oh everyday stuff. It's easy to mock and you know, we have fun with it, but there's something to it. And he's a genuine person. I think guys genuinely like playing for him. And I think his attitude rubs off on these guys, and we see it in a series like this one. The other thing too, and we hit on this in the last installment of the podcast, the Nationals can hit. They continue to hit. Their pitching is very suspect. Their defense at times is suspect, but this is a lineup that game in, game out is producing, you know, varying extents perhaps, but every game you feel like there's a chance, every game you're seeing offensive life. This game was frustrating because of all of the fails with runners in scoring position, but even with that, the Nationals are able to deliver, and it's a variety of people. It's not just one or two. It's like up and down the lineup, you're getting contributions for a lot of different people right now. Well, I was going to say, yeah, I mean, they gave themselves opportunities over and over in this game. One for 14 with runners in scoring position through the first eight innings. Actually, it was one for 13 through the first five innings. I don't know if I've ever seen that many opportunities that early against a starter and failing to come through. But because they finally got the pitching, it kept the game close and it gave them a chance in the ninth. And they did finally deliver with some big hits. And I like what you said about how it's coming from everyone. And I think maybe the, the sneaky, most impressive thing about this rally is who did it. Juan Soto had a chance to do it. And he popped up on the first pitch he saw from Diaz. And Josh Bell draws the walk. And so who did it? It's Andrew Stevenson again and Carter Keeboom, who was having a rough weekend but came through with a perfectly placed hit. He didn't hit it hard, but it was perfectly placed. Stevenson was running on the pitch, which I think helped a little bit because the two infielders are sort of bunching in now to maybe cover second base, help break up a possible double play and make it a tougher play. You could tell talking to Kibum after the fact that this meant something to him. To do it against the Mets, um, you know, it's, it's kind of been the, the, the team, I think, that's gave us some, uh, ch- some challenges there late in these ballgames. And um, to pull it out against them, I know... We all know they're in a tight race um, um, to, to get back into uh, the playoffs. So, um, you know, for, for us to, to pull one, to, to sneak one by them, um, it's an awesome feeling. He's been grinding here for a while, and to actually see it pay off and be a part of a celebration, I think it meant a lot to him. Yeah, it definitely was an up-and-down series for Keyboom. He does have the two hits, though, on Monday. Two for five, walk-off single, another single. I mean, and another example of Mets sloppiness, Francisco Lindor unable to feel that ball cleanly off the bat of Keyboom. But to your point... Keyboom put the ball in play. Something good ended up coming from that. He also had a single on a 1-2 pitch in the bottom of the fifth with one out. So good to see Carter deliver in that spot. You mentioned Stevenson. Man, what a series he ends up having. He ends up doing something dramatic in three of the five games. And in each of those three games, he's off the bench. I don't know that I've ever seen a guy have a series like that where off the bench three times in a five-game series. I mean, you don't see five-game series often. I get that. But he had the dramatic flip at home plate there on Friday night. The assets. Stevenson's running the pitch. Line to right center field. Nimble coming on. Dives. Can't get it. It's fine. 
He had the dramatic home run in the game on Saturday, in which he delivered big time, that 11-9, nine-inning loss, game one of the doubleheader. And then in this game, on Monday afternoon, Stevenson, a pinch game-tying, one-out RBI single off Diaz on an 0-2 pitch. I mean, this was a whacked-out series. That's, like, so interesting to me. Three times in five games, and each time off the bench, Andrew Stevenson, who's not had a good season offensively, delivers big time for the Nationals. And in the two games that he did start, he did almost nothing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, this is for whatever reason, this is who he is right now. He is fantastic off the bench and he is not productive at all when he starts. So maybe there's a mindset. I don't know how to explain it or what it is, but those were good quality at bats against hard throwing relievers late in games. So I'm not just brushing this off as not a big deal. I think there is something to it. He did say afterwards, and I, I like this because I've heard it for years from Ryan Zerman. I wonder if he got it from him. I try to just mellow out. That's uh, kind of in the bigger spots. The way I kind of look at it is the pitcher's more, he's in more of a jam than I am for the most part. So I think like in that situation, it's to my advantage. So I shouldn't be the one feeling the pressure here. It should be on the pitcher. And uh, so that's something that's kind of helped me, you know, and also that goes in hand with like kind of my walk-up songs are kind of a little bit slower, a little more relaxing. And I think I'm at my best when I'm just relaxed at the plate. You're the one at the plate with a chance to make something happen because of it. Zimmerman's used that line for years and years. Every time he hits a walk-off homer, that's the line that he gives. And I wonder if he, that rubbed off on Stevenson at some point that he picked up on that one because he really said that he, even so much as I've never heard anybody say that their walk-up song was designed for a purpose like that. Well, he does have maybe the catchiest walk-up song on the Nationals. And I have to tell you, that song has been in my head for months now since we started doing this podcast. The other thing that's funny about that song is... The last time the Nats played the Braves, and of course the Nats are about to play at Atlanta, one of the Braves relievers, I want to say Luke Jackson, I might be wrong on that, he got caught on camera singing the song while Stevenson was coming up to hit. It was pretty funny because it's a catchy song. It's a good song. (laughs) And I think it was Luke Jackson. He's like singing the song while Stevenson is coming to bat. It was pretty funny that a reliever would do that, but he did that. So it's, it's infectious, that music, and maybe it's influencing Andrew the way that he pitches. You know, it's funny, different sport, yes, but in the NBA, there are some guys who purposely are not started. They are brought off the bench, even though they're really good. Greg Popovich for years brought Manu Ginobili off the bench, even though Ginobili is a Hall of Fame caliber player. Some guys are better that way for whatever reason. Maybe Stevenson is one of those guys. Maybe he's he's the Manu Ginobili of the Nationals. I don't know, but that was weird with what happened with him in this series. He's going to win the sixth man of the year award is what you're saying. Right, exactly. You know, in this case, was it the 10th man of the year award, I guess, in baseball? But yeah, we come up with something like that. Hey, Nats fans, are you looking to buy or sell a home or an investment property? If so, contact Jamie Coppersmith and the Coppersmith Group at McInerney Associates. A huge Nats fan right from the get-go in 2005, Jamie has repeatedly been recognized by Washingtonian Magazine as a top-producing real estate agent across the DMV. Referred to by a client as a Jedi Master of Real Estate, he will bring his expertise to bear on your behalf helping you understand and navigate this challenging real estate market. Jamie is a five-tool agent who's as patient as Juan Soto at the plate. He has his own version of Moneyball, a strategic and statistical market-based analysis that balanced with a deep respect for your specific real estate needs, goals, and timeline. So whether buying or selling, call Jamie Coppersmith today at 202-525-7471 or visit his website at thecoppersmithgroup.com. That's Coppersmith with a K.
That chat is sponsored by Silver Branch Brewing Company, located in downtown Silver Spring, only a one-minute walk from the Silver Spring Metro Station. Silver Branch is a perfect jumping-off point to Metro down to the game. Park at the Cameron Street parking lot and meet up with friends for a beer and a bite to eat before Metroing down. You can also get Silver Branch beer at Nationals Park. Beyond the Gnome World, one of Silver Branch's four flagship beers is available at District Drafts at Section 223. Brewed to be light and refreshing, Beyond the Gnome World won a gold medal for the Saison beer style at the Great American Beer Festival last year. Beyond the Gnome World is deliciously dry and thirst-quenching and the perfect beer for hot summertime ball games. You may not be familiar with Saison, but take our word for it, baseball season is the perfect season for Saison, and buying from District Drafts to support your local breweries is a gnome run. Go to Section 223 and try Beyond the Gnome World the next time that you're at Nats Park, and make sure you stop by Silver Branch, located in Metro Plaza, just steps from the Silver Spring Metro. Silver Branch Brewing Company, when you come in, let them know that the Nats Chat Podcast sent you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. On the center field grass, the pitch swung on in the air to right. Conforto racing to his left toward the line. Can't get there, and it bounces by him. He'll chase it along the sidewall in foul ground, and Escobar will go all the way to third and standing without a play. Alcides Escobar, another guy who had a good series for the Nationals. Bunch of big hits for Alcides in this series. He has a triple in this game, aided somewhat by Michael Conforto. Although I feel like on most triples, that's the case. Like there's a little bit of help from the fielder and it's up to the official score how you want to document that. But Escobar and the Nationals, one run first, a one out full count, opposite field triple to right field, despite having been down in the count at one point, one, two. You know what we say about all CDs. Nobody is better in terms of trash at bats. You know, you're down in the count. You're able to do something with it. You put a ball in play and sure enough, he ends up getting a triple on the play. The ball was misplayed by Michael Conforto and right. But Escobar with that triple. And then Escobar with a big walk in that two-run ninth inning. The leadoff four-pitch walk off Diaz. It was Alcides Escobar, the table setter, who ended up igniting that inning. Alcides is the Nats starting shortstop and number two batter in every game in this series. Five for 20 with a homer, a triple, a double, 
two singles, and two walks. Alcides just keeps Alcidesing for the Nationals. That's your number two hitter, Al. That's your guy. Right in the right spot in the lineup. That is right where he needs to be in this lineup. Hey, good for him. You know what? He's been drawing some walks, which is good. That's not his game. We, we know that's not typically what he does. Drawing some walks, including the four-pitch walk to start the bottom of the ninth. And the reason I went into that inning feeling fairly confident, both because of Edwin Diaz, who, by the way, has like a 12-3-7 <laughs> career ERA at Nationals Park now, which is astounding, in like 10 appearances with the Mets. I think he has three blown saves. But the reason I felt good about it, in addition to Diaz being on the mound, was that it was that part of the lineup coming up. And you're thinking Escobar, Soto, Bell, oh, that could be pretty good to make something happen. But ultimately, it was Escobar and Bell drawing the walks and then the hits coming from Stevenson and Keyboom. And I'm not sure that's necessarily the way I saw it playing out in my head. But I did think because it was going to be two, three, four, and because I have faith in Escobar at this point, I liked him leading off that inning. Yeah. And he came through. You know, you mentioned drawing walks. Josh Bell has been drawing quite a few walks here lately. That's really not something he had been doing for the bulk of this season. But Josh Bell in this series ends up drawing five walks. He goes 4-16 with a homer, a double, and two singles. Bell on Monday afternoon, the uh, one-out seven pitch walk off Diaz in that two-run ninth inning. He drew another walk in the game, bottom of the first, a two-out five pitch walk. And he had himself a double in the game, a full count double, despite having been down to the count at 1.02. So another instance of Josh Bell, down 0-2, two-strike plate appearance, able to do something with that plate appearance. He's been so good in that regard this season. And that was a play on which Josh Bell hit the ball so hard, it like ricocheted off the Mets' first baseman, Pete Alonso. The Mets are sloppy in the field, so I guess maybe you put some of that on Alonso. But I think a lot of that was just Josh Bell scorching a baseball. We know he's done that for so much of the season. That was a rocket. I didn't catch the exit velocity, but uh, that was a well-struck baseball. Josh Bell, I mean, he deserved that double to me. Yeah, that was... Well, it was only 88.6 miles an hour. Really? I would not have guessed that. <laughs> I would have thought that was hit a lot harder than that, but it looked hard off the bat. So, no, we'll still give him some credit for it. And like you said, the season totals keep climbing, and he's up over the 800 OPS now. And I asked Davey Martinez about that before the game, and, and he said... He's been unbelievable. I mean, offensively, he's been he's been great. I can only imagine if, if he, didn't, he, he wasn't ill first month of the season, the kind of numbers he would have put up for us, but... Um, since then, he's been incredible. I think he's, you know, he's hitting over 280. Uh, his slug, his slug is, you know, has been astronomical. I mean, he's been just a, the player that we thought we were, we were traded for. So he's had a, for me, he's had a great year, a great year. Not only that, you know, we talk about how much work he's put into his defense, and I think we all can see that it's paid off a lot. He's been really good over at first base, so that's that's huge, especially going into you know next year. And even some hints that he actually was one who got sick at the time, and that thinking that that might have contributed to the slow start. Remember, he had a great spring training. He was tearing the cover off the ball all spring. So maybe the COVID issue kind of threw him out of whack, and it took him a while, obviously, to get it back. But since mid-May, he has been extremely productive for them and exactly what you want in a cleanup hitter. He, he has more than fulfilled that job for them. Yeah, OPS for Bell for the season is up to 8.04. And Josh Bell, believe it or not, is actually second on the Nationals in walks. He has 43 on the season. <laughs> Juan Soto is number one with his major league leading 112 walks. Josh Bell is second on the team with 43 walks. Just to give you an idea of the extent to which Juan Soto was out walking the planet this season. But good game by Josh Bell. Good series by Josh Bell. And you know what, Mark? I guess we also have to say good game for Patrick Corbin. Patrick Corbin comes through in this game. Three runs in seven innings. Now, 
He does this despite giving up 11 hits, okay? I mean, geez, <laughs> you talk about flirting with danger. 11 hits in seven innings, uh, a homer, a double, and nine singles. He only had four strikeouts, but he only issued one walk. He did throw strikes, 73 strikes versus 41 balls on 114 pitches. And i tell you something else with Corbin. He battled in this game. I know that's a cliche thing to say, but Davey Martinez pretty clearly and obviously left Corbin in the game for a while. Davey wanted Corbin to eat up innings in this game, and Corbin ended up doing that. And that top of the seventh inning was sketchy. There's no doubt about that. But it ultimately ended up being a scoreless seventh inning, despite Corbin giving up a single and a walk. Terrific catch by Yadiel Hernandez and the left center field gap for the third out. Corbin had a single in the game, too, and that Nationals one-run fourth inning. We've seen him have good outings and then get tattooed in the next few outings, so nobody is saying Patrick Corbin is back. But I wasn't expecting this, and he delivered this, and he got pushed a little bit by Davey in this game, and Corbin responded to that. Well, what was nice to see is that this wasn't a dominant performance from him. And yet it was ultimately effective. And that's kind of been the problem so often is that every once in a while he looks really good. But on the days when he doesn't look good, he ends up giving up six runs and can't get out of the fifth inning. And here was a day where, let's acknowledge, like you said, 11 hits allowed. A lot of them were on the ground. But, I mean, he was in trouble kind of all day long and then gets to the seventh inning and is really being pushed like he hasn't maybe all year. And that was a result of the bullpen. I think there were at least three guys unavailable today, if not more than that. And that's why ultimately Kyle Finnegan went two innings in relief of him. But Corbin had to finish that inning. It was just going to be the way that it was. And to his credit, like you said, he battled. That was a great battle with Michael Conforto. Nine pitches. He's already faced him four times in the game. He's faced him a bunch over the years. Conforto has good numbers against him. I think he was 10 for 30 with five homers in his career against him. And at this point, there's no secrets. He knows exactly what Corbin has. He's already thrown him everything he's got, and he's got to find a way to find one more pitch to get him. And Conforto hit it well, but not well enough. And credit to Yadiel Hernandez for tracking that down. Not a guy who's known for defense, typically. Tracked it down. But that was a morale booster for Corbin. You can look at the peripherals and say it wasn't a great start. And yes, I agree 100% with you. And I'm not declaring that this changes anything. But on one day for Patrick Corbin to be able to finish that inning, having given up three runs and get the quote unquote quality start, I think it meant something to him that he was able to deliver for his team in a spot where they really needed it from him today. Yeah, at this point, anything that can be perceived as a positive with him, you take because he needs it. It's been a nightmare of a season. It's legitimately been one of the worst seasons any Nationals pitcher has ever had. So we can put all the asterisks we want next to this outing, and that's fine. Uh, It is troubling. 11 hits. He gives up a lot of hits. This goes back to last season. He puts guys on base like crazy. He's still not getting strikeouts. The glitch has not been fixed, but he was effective from a run prevention standpoint in this game. Now. Alex Avila was the starting catcher, and they know each other. Alex, of course, had not started in forever because of the bilateral calf strains that kept him out for two plus months when everybody believes he could have been back like a month ago, but the Nats didn't want to play him again. Do you think that that's just coincidence, or do you think that Alex Avila, as the battery mate for Patrick Corbin, had something to do with Patrick pitching halfway decently in this game? Well, I know it was by design that Davey wanted him to catch, and it turns out, even though Caber Ruiz was unavailable because he's got a bone bruise now in his knee from that foul ball the other day. So he's hurting. And Riley Adams had caught three days in a row, so he wasn't going to catch. So Davey actually said that he was going to start Avila no matter what because of the connection with Corbin. And we're at a point now where it's like, we got to try something different. How about let's give him a catcher who's a veteran, who's familiar with him both here and from Arizona. 
in their past and just might be able to help him a little bit, guide him through a game in a way that a rookie catcher could not. Did it make a difference? I don't know. But at this point, you'll try anything you can. And I've got to believe, especially in that last inning, as you're battling against some tough hitters there, that having a veteran catcher who's been there, done that before, knows Corbin, knows his strengths, his weaknesses, knows the hitter's strengths and weaknesses, it's got to pay off at least a little bit in the pitch selection and just everything about that. There's got to be a certain comfort level having a veteran back there as opposed to a rookie. Yeah, you would think it would help. I mean, I mean, the thing that I would say is the Nats have had veteran catchers the last two years up until the sell-off, and you know that hasn't made much of a difference. So you know, I think that only goes so far. But I just thought it was kind of interesting that with that battery, Corbin ends up doing well. With Kyle Finnegan pitching, how often have we had this this season? The Nats only use one reliever in a nine-inning game. I mean, I feel like you could count on one hand the amount of games we've had this season with the Nats in which Davey only summons one reliever from the bullpen. That was huge, and they absolutely needed it, whether they won the game or not. And you saw how Davey set it up to do that by double switching in Ryan Zimmerman, moving Josh Bell to left field because he knew he had to push the pitcher spot as far down as he could to get two innings out of Finnegan. Now, he helped himself by having a 13-pitch eighth inning and getting through that pretty quickly to give him you know, the opportunity to come back for the ninth. They needed that desperately, and that's why I said they needed the innings from Corbin, then they needed the innings from Finnegan, and now you can go to Atlanta on Tuesday, and Finnegan probably won't be available for that game, but hopefully everybody else is available, and now they're in a better position bullpen-wise. Are you a law firm partner looking for a better situation for your practice and a blockbuster contract worthy of Juan Soto? If so, you should call Mason Kalfas of Zenith Legal in Washington, D.C. Works with law firms and lawyers on finding the perfect match. No platoons, just superstars. Some lawyers switch firms because of conflict. Some lawyers switch firms for a better platform for their practice. And some lawyers switch firms for more money. You need the Scott Boris of Legal Headhunters working for you, and that's Mason. Mason will work with you to find a better fit for your practice and ultimately the best deal for you and your entire team. Call him today at 202-486-3535 or check out his website, zenithlegal.com. This is an unprecedented time in the legal market, and many top firms are looking to expand. Call Mason today. Zenith Legal also works with associates and distinguishes itself on personal service. Zenith Legal doesn't just spam resumes out to law firms. Zenith Legal talks to the right people and gets your resume in front of the decision makers who matter. Whether you are a Rainmaker partner or a mid-level associate, give Mason Kalfas at Zenith Legal a call today to accelerate your career. Call today, 202-486-3535. Hey, Nats fans, this is Eric Bramer, play-by-play broadcaster for the Fredericksburg Nationals. Time is running out to see the Fred Nats in their inaugural 2021 season at beautiful new Fred Nats Ballpark. With promotions every night of the week and a talented roster that includes Jackson Rutledge, Jeremy De La Rosa, Brandon Bossier, Yordi Barley, and many more, the time's never been better to see tomorrow's Washington National stars today. Visit FredNats.com for ticket information and follow us on social media at FXBGNats for the latest updates. Here's the 2-2 from Williams. Swing a line drive to left field toward the line. Chasing McNeil. It's down for a hit. Garcia's breaking for the plate. McNeil's throw in is cut off as Garcia scores standing up. Holding it second is Corbin. It's another big hit for Lane Thomas. A game-tying RBI single. Nationals 2, Mets 2. Thomas is 2 for 3. That's RBI number 12 this season. 
few other things from the game. Lane Thomas, oh, by the way, got on base two more times, RBI single and another single. Did commit a fielding error that advanced Jeff McNeil to second on his leadoff single and the top of the second. But uh, the Lane train keeps steamrolling. Lane Thomas in this series, eight for 21, two home runs and six singles. And Luis Garcia on Monday, another extra base hit, this time a triple. Luis in the bottom of the eighth inning, a two-out triple to the right center field gap where Mets right fielder Michael Conforto fell down in trying to make the pick. The Mets were a comedy of errors defensively in this game on Monday, but Garcia with the triple in the eighth. He also had a leadoff single in that Nationals one-run fourth inning. Luis Garcia, who we know has not been great offensively and inconsistent defensively, he was an at starting second baseman, number eight batter in every game in this series, seven for 19 with a triple, four doubles, and two singles. He had five extra base hits over the five games. Okay, we'll take that. Good signs. As we said all along, there's flash there. He's going to make big plays at the plate and in the field. Now it's can he consistently do it at all the other times? But that's a good series for him and a confidence boost for him. And as Davey pointed out, like there have been times in the past when he's been up here that they wanted to play him, but they didn't feel like they could justify playing him every day, especially against lefties and depending on who else they had going on while they're trying to win games in a pennant race. Well, they finally are in a spot where they can afford just to put him out there every day, let him sink or swim. There has been some sinking at times with him, but it's nice to see him thriving in a few spots. And, and if you have a second baseman who can hit for power, that's a nice thing to have because there aren't a whole lot of them who do that. Yeah, I mean, I really do like how at least with Kibum and Garcia, what we ask for, we're getting, where every day they're out there, almost regardless of performance. Like, Kibum is being toggled up and down the lineup a little bit. You know, that's fine, whatever. Garcia seems pretty well entrenched in that number eight spot. But, you know, we're going through the growing pains with them, and they're getting that opportunity to get better. So let's see if they get better, especially with Luis Garcia. I know we brought this up a few podcast episodes ago. It's only 21. So, you know, you really got to give him a chance. And even like beyond this season, if you believe in the guy, you really have to give him a chance in the next season. Like two months, I don't know that necessarily are going to determine whether Luis Garcia can be your everyday second baseman or not. Yeah, I think it's an interesting question with both him and Kibum of when you get to the end of this season, do you feel like you've got a complete picture there and know if you want to proceed or not? Or do you feel like you need more body of work? And I'm not sure what the answer is. I think given the state of the team and given the other positions of need, chances are we will see those two starting out the season, at least, as their starting second baseman and third baseman, although I really don't know what they're going to do this winter. But the best thing those two guys can do is present enough of a case now over this final month to suggest that, yes, they do deserve to come into spring training as the starters at those positions and not feel like they're now competing again or have even lost the opportunity to win those jobs. So, we don't know what they're going to be. We've seen glimpses in both guys' cases. We've also seen evidence that you know, maybe not so sure if they're going to be the guy. But they've got four more weeks now to sort of finish the deal and at least uh, make it less of a question in the Nationals' mind going into the winter. Yeah, I mean, I think at the very least what they've done is make it so that they can be options for next season and you're not looking at them as lost causes, dry holes, we have to do something else. Like, you may not be totally sold on other guy. You probably won't be totally sold on other guy come the end of this season. But at least you can say, all right, let's see some more, you know, especially with Kibum, because we thought Kibum might be a lost cause. He may be salvaging himself here with the way things are going. Hasn't been great, but he's been pretty good. You know, he hasn't been the lost cause offensively anyway uh, that he had been. By the way, Tim Shover's notes, June 16th was the last Nationals win in which the team needed only one reliever. That also was a Patrick Corbin started game. He went eight and a third innings, 
That was a game against the Pittsburgh Pirates. And Justin Miller got the final two outs in the game. Yes. Wow. One day we should be uh, we should try to list every Nationals reliever this season. Uh, that could take like four <laughs> days to come up with that list. Oh, man. I know they've used 58 players in total this year, which is a new club record. That's not a record you want to set. Most players used in a season. You don't want to have that one. All right. Well, it is on to Atlanta for the Nationals, the National League East leading Atlanta Braves. Three games in three nights. So uh, no, no five games in three nights. We're done with the Mets in 2021. Praise above for that. Each game will be a 7:20 start. Paolo Espino, game one, Tuesday night. Sean Nolan, game two, Wednesday night. Eric Fetty, game three on Thursday night. You tell us what you think. You can hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast as well. Nats chat podcast dot gmail dot com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats chat are courtesy of 1067 The Fan with the secret weapon going on Tuesday night. Get yourself a secret weapon t-shirt by going to Nats chat podcast dot square dot site. Also, we would like to say that uh, we're going to throw out another question when it comes to our voice memos that we play at the end of our podcast. And uh, the latest question we'll throw out is a simple one. Give us a prediction for 2022. Anything, something good, something bad, something that the Nationals do in the offseason, any Nationals prediction for 2022. The frontier is wide open and unexplored right now when it comes to the Nationals beyond this season. Something you feel is a coming for the Nationals in 2022. You can record yourself giving your answer to that question in your smartphone and then email that file to us, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. And if anyone else would like to submit a tale of October 2019, we certainly continue to welcome those as well. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. The kick and the pitch. Check swing. Did he go? They'll appeal. Yes, it's a swing, says Alan Porter, the umpire at third. And it's a swinging strike three. And bang, zoom, a curly W's in the books. Justin Miller out of the bullpen to get the final two outs for Patrick Corbin, who goes a season's best eight and one-third innings. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.